0: With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine, John DeGeese joining me from Chicago here to break down a lot of news on the show this week. We'll mention briefly some of the racing that happened over the weekend. Got an interview coming up with Kyle Marcelli coming off of a, a really strong debut for the Racers Edge team, going back to the Coda round of Blancpain GT World Challenge America, where he was mixing it up in the overall podium battle and uh, certainly looking very good in his class. And we'll talk to him about that and more with uh, VIR coming up this weekend. And we'll wrap things up by previewing VIR as Soro America is back in action here soon. But uh, John did want to mention real fast, off the top, we did have a little bit of racing over the weekend. The 24-hour series race at Spa, the hand-cooked 12 hours of Spa, occurred over the weekend. Scuderia Praha picked up their second consecutive win in that championship. You can find our recap story on the website. Uh, But we would like to start here by diving into the news. And some big news to cover, John, over the week uh, that was, and we'll start with Lamar, where we saw the field expanded to 62 cars, United Autosports and high-class racing added to the field. How big of a surprise was this? What was the genesis of this decision? Uh, your, your overall impressions of of uh, that particular announcement.
0: Well, I, I think it came as a pretty big surprise. Um, I'd heard snippets about put the, the field potentially being increased, I think, the day before it was announced. So it sounded like it was something that was heavily guarded within the ACO. And this just came a, a few weeks after we, we spoke with um, ACO president Pierre Fion and, and um, WEC boss Gerard Naveau at, at Sebring. And um, I think I, I'd posed a question to them you know, about what about Lama? What about the future entries? Are you looking at expansion there? Um, You know, there was a really competitive entry list this year, and a lot of teams were put on the reserve list. And at that point, there was really no indication that they were going to do this. That's not saying they weren't didn't have this in the back of their mind. They did probably maybe they might have, you know, and wanted to hold it from the media at the time. But um, this is a pretty unprecedented uh, uh, situation where they're going to be adding two temporary garages to um, fulfill the the additional entries from um, from both uh, high class racing and the second United Autosports entry. It's great news for those teams, and, and I think we've covered it extensively on United's um, disappointment for not initially having two cars on the entry list. Um, one came via their automatic invite form uh, for winning the Asian Le Mans Championship in LMP2, and um, I, I think um, our Dan Lloyd had a had a good story with Richard Dean, sort of explaining that he's pleased to see their second car now gain an entry, but this adjustment doesn't change anything in the way he sees how the initial Entry list was 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 uh, was determined in that they omitted their their second entry after a, a considerable investment and commitment by this team. I think they have eleven or twelve cars competing full time in the various ACO championships worldwide. So, um, great news for for these teams. But um, I'd have to say it comes as a bit of a surprise um, overall. And um, you know, from a grid capacity, of course, there's plenty of room for 62 cars on the track. I don't think that's a big issue. Um, I think there's always, always been a limitation in terms of garage space. And if they're able to make these temporary garages happen, then I guess we can have a 62-car grid.
1: It does seem to mollify a couple of the, the obvious snubs, most notably the United snub. Uh, as, as you just highlighted, this team has invested a ton in ACO racing around the world. But I do have to wonder how this is going to be perceived by the other teams that uh, that don't get – Bailed out and and added to the field. On one hand, it it does seem to to fix a problem, and I commend the ACO for that. However, on the other side, it almost opens Pandora's box here. Don't you think that, that this could put them in a difficult position down the road?
0: Exactly. You know, why couldn't they have put three extra entries and then Eurasia Motorsport would have been in or four and then you would have had Panas Barthes. So it absolutely does. And, um, you know, I have my everybody has their own conspiracy theories on, (laughs) on why things are done. And I don't think we should really get into it. But um yeah we'll we'll see what happens in in 2020 for instance whether there will be 62 or 60 or or maybe there'll be a uh, like a wheel of fortune um done on the day they announced the 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 the, the entry list and you know deciding how many entries will they'll accept this year I, I i don't know um personally part of me always enjoyed the fact that there was a set number of cars that could be in, and that was it. And there were always never any exceptions made. And um, sure, our ACO may have could have made a mistake by not having the second United car in, but to sort of fix it after the fact, I, I don't think it really solves any issue um, overall yeah
1: makes me a little uncomfortable as well, but uh, it's here we where we are and you know congratulations to those two teams i I imagine they're not going to think too long about it and take advantage of the situation and without a doubt they're good additions to the grid so that's definitely one of the the positives to come away from this. Let's move to a different story here, and it's one that really wasn't a massive surprise. We had heard rumblings I think we've talked about it on the show before that ford's factory four GT program was drawing to a close in some capacity. And now we have official announcement that this is going to be the final year of the factory team in both the WeatherTech Championship and IMSA and the WEC. However, Ford does plan to remain involved in some capacity with the four GT. What did we learn, John?
0: Yeah, so I think this was the first official confirmation that there will no longer be a full factory for GT program. I had a, a great chat with Mark Rushbrook, the um, Motorsports director for Ford Performance o- last week, and um, I asked him the question, and he confirmed it. Yep, there's, it's it's coming to an end at the end of the year, and um, but he stressed that the Ford GTs will most likely still be out racing in one form or another, um, basically in 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 the form of either a, a semi factory program or a customer program. Um, They're in talks with multiple uh, teams, as you can imagine right now, Chip Ganassi and Multimatic being, I think, two of the leading candidates. And I think there's an actual strong chance we could see very similar programs from both teams next year, just with uh, additional sponsorship, maybe some driver lineup changes, um, different team names. Um, It it looks like if, 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 the Fords will continue in WEC. It likely will be under the Multimatic banner. Um, In IMSA, it it appears that if the Fords continue, I think it'll likely be with Chip Ganassi Racing, but I don't think we'll be seeing the same liveries, for instance. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of change in the works, and and I think – Um, This is sort of a transition period for Ford as they're trying to figure out what's next on the horizon for their sports car programs. There's been a lot of dialogue about a potential DPI program for 2020 that still hasn't been ruled out by Rushbrook. Um, Also they're very keen on the new DPI regulations for 2022 and it's my understanding that they were waiting on an assurance more or less that it would go hybrid. Um, in 2022, and they would actually formally commit to those regs internally. And I believe that phase may have already happened. So it's good news that we very well could have Ford in DPI in 2022. But now it's a question of, could they be running a, a, could they end up campaigning a uh, current generation dpi in the two years interim um that's all a bit unclear right now on, on what that looks like and also um mark told me that they've done a study to potentially run a modified version of the ford gt at Lama in the new hypercar class which is uh uh, quite of a complex thing. I think we spoke a little bit about it last week on last week's show. That uh, there seems to be a, a bit of a push from some GTE manufacturers to allow modified versions of their GTE machinery in the top class at Le Mans, either replacing Hypercar or being a supplement to Hypercar or whatever else could be in the works there for the, the top class. You know, regulations for 2020, 2021. So lots uh, at play right now at Ford. Um, Nothing is definitive. The only thing Mark did say is that he hopes to have a more um, finalized vision of what the Ford GT, GTE, GTLM program will look like next year hopefully by Lama this year where they could potentially uh confirm the teams and 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 structure of, of what ford support will be and and what teams will campaign and the campaign the cars and he said there's six cars basically available that are still active in competition and he would like to see four of them continue so very much like what we see today with two you know ideally two in the states and two in wbc
1: Does that list of cars that are available include the chassis that Ben Keating will be using? My understanding is he owns that chassis, is that right?
0: Yes, Ben purchased that chassis for the Le Mans effort, and he hasn't ruled out additional entries um, in other series in the future, although I think it would be hard to sort of have him go into GTLM in the States. I think he's committed to the Mercedes program um, with Riley over there. Um, I guess we could see Ben do some WEC races with that car in GTEM next season, you know, post Le Mans when the season starts again. Um, but... I'm not sure where that look what that looks like. Um, also, I think the I believe Ben's car does count towards the six that are actively racing. So there's feasibly five more that are sort of up for grabs, whether they're for sale or for lease. I don't know what how that'll actually work when it comes to teams like Inesie and Multimatic. Um, be kinda of, kind of ironic if if multimatic had to go purchase Ford GT chassis from Ford because they actually built them. Right. But, um whatever. We'll have to see how all the details work out. But um interesting times for Ford overall right now I'd have to say.
1: Yeah no doubt about it. So a lot more to come on that story. Another topic of conversation involving a manufacturer is McLaren is really ramping up its involvement in IMSA ahead of its uh, debut for its new GT3 contender, looking ahead to the WeatherTech Championship race at Mid-Ohio, which uh, kicks off the Compass Racing team's uh, Sprint Cup effort within the IMSA umbrella. And McLaren now has officially signed on as an automotive partner with IMSA, which, again, speaks to the strength of IMSA at the moment. The number of automotive partners that they have is is pretty remarkable. But also to see McLaren now really getting behind this GT3 program in the States, I think that's good to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we all saw this coming. We all saw the announcement from Compass a few months ago that they'd be running a, a 720S in the, in the Sprint Cup races. So this isn't a huge surprise, but it sort of just formalizes everything. Um, we also got to see Compass's brand new livery, which looks really, really great on on that car. So uh, looking forward to seeing them debut. It's a shame we didn't get a second customer um, for the Sprint Cup campaign. I know McLaren was actively working on a few different options, including one which would have been from Flying Lizard Motorsports um, to run a second car in the States. I know they were really keen on having um, two cars in the Sprint Cup, but um, for now, it's just one. I, I think there might be a potential for a second one later in the year. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, nothing definitive. But um, from Compass's perspective, I think their plan is definitely to have two next year, one for the full season. That would include the endurance races, plus one for the Sprint Cup. So um, it, it's a, a great time for, for Carl Thompson and his team to sort of expand back into the GTD ranks. Remember, Quite a few years ago, they ran a previous-generation Audi. I think it was mm-hmm. a, a non—it was an ultra-spec Audi um, for a few races in, in GTD, and they just got their feet wet in that kind of category. And um, now they're back here with, with a, a much more refined program, much more supported program from a manufacturer, and um, I'm really curious to see how they're going to do.
1: In years past, when McLaren's name has come up about involvement at IMSA, it's been that manufacturer-partner fee that has been – Um, The real sticking point for them, what do you think was the difference here? Does it simply come down to the fact that that the the, the partner fee is reduced for a Sprint Cup program? Is it the fact that the McLaren GT program has now come in-house, some combination of those things?
0: It's a combination of those things. Um, what Scott Atherton told me a few months ago was that you know a, a manufacturer committing to a Sprint Cup only program can get a quote introductory offer <laughs> into the series with um, in terms of the, the the marketing commitments that IMSA asks the manufacturers to complete for the for the automotive partnership. So I think McLaren is definitely not paying you know the full amount compared to other manufacturers in the series, but should they commit to a full championship next year which looks like to be the case i think that that'll increase so i um, seeing this as a multi-year deal I, I bet they have a an agreement already in place where they have an x amount of dollar commitment this year it'll probably be upped next year um and, and then go on from there so um the best news is that they're committed for the long term um this, this is a manufacturer that's you know. Changed a lot over the last 12 months with everything going in house, like you said, Ryan. And um, I think that they're really making a central centralized focus to to sell more cars, support teams, and um, and and really um, build on everything here. And um, for those curious on who's actually um, supporting the McLaren operation in North America in terms of like customer support, it's actually Carl Haas. Um, they have their, um, their, there's a a truck at every IMSA weekend that, um, has a bunch of parts from some other manufacturers as well. And, um, I noticed the McLaren logo on the, on the transporter a few races ago, and I actually ended up asking Carl Thompson about it. And he uh, confirmed that, yeah, they're the parts distributor for North America, for McLaren, um, automotive racing so um some strong support there for for teams looking to to run some mclarens in in the, in north america in addition to what compass is doing
1: yeah that's really interesting stuff so looking forward to seeing that car on the grid at mid ohio let's wrap up the news portion of the show with some disappointing news that p1 motorsports a team that Burst onto the scene here in recent years and I think won a lot of fans over with their Chupacabra livery on their Mercedes-AMG GT3 has put an end to its GT3 programs. Uh, Some problems, uh, medical problems, it's been reported, for JC Perez, ultimately leading to that decision. But uh, that's a big hit for GT3 grids both in IMSA and also in SRO America.
0: Yeah, um, this was a team that was planning to do a full season program with the Mercedes with um, JC Perez and and Maxi Buch. And uh, we sort of saw the team in turmoil right from the beginning of the year at Daytona. There was a lot of issues um, from a management standpoint, and they had a a bunch of management changes before the the Blancpain GT World Challenge America season opener at Coda. And then there were more changes for Sebring. And at that point, you almost saw the writing was on the wall that something was going to have to change. Um, I didn't expect the whole program to go away, Um, you know, asking the latest team manager for the program, um, he confirmed that he he stated that um, JC had some back problems after he, quote, fell down some stairs. Um, I've heard some conflicting reports. Let's be uh, upfront about it, you know, about what the reason exactly is. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to add more fuel to the fire, but I'm just we're what we reported was what the team has told us, and that's what we're going by right now, as to the reason why the, these cars are for sale and no longer uh, in action. But um, bottom line is it's disappointing because um, I think both grids really uh, relied on these, these cars, especially from a Mercedes standpoint, because there aren't many um, AMG GT3s racing in the U.S. right now.
1: And I really feel for Maxi Book, he was a guy I was excited to get to see compete in North America. Um, I think he was looking forward to these programs, and unfortunately for him, uh that, that opportunity has, has gone away awfully early.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of his programs for this year was catered around racing in NIMSA. Uh, I know he's doing the full season of Intercontinental GT Challenge, but that's only five races. I, I don't know what else he has on his plate right now. So um, I'm sure Mercedes AMG will find um, programs for him. But as the season's already started, it's a bit difficult to sort of place them in in terms of full season championship runs. And, and I think that's a shame as well, because you don't want somebody like uh, his talents, um, sitting around and and not doing anything.
1: All right. So that's a look at the news of the week here in sports car racing. Let's take a break now. And on the other side, we'll speak to Kyle Marcelli about the fantastic start he and his co-driver, Martin Barkey have had to their Blancpain GT world challenge America program and also look ahead to VIR. And when we come back from that, we've got a listener question and also a preview of that event at VIR still to come on Double Stint. Hi,
2: I'm Andy Prio, and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast.
1: Kyle Marcelli joins us now on the Double Stand Podcast of course drives for Racer's Edge Motorsports in the Blancpain GT World Challenge America Series alongside Martin Barkey and uh, P4 in points for you right now Kyle in uh, pro in, in the overall point standings P1 in the pro am cup in the series a couple of podiums and a class win at Coda, The overall poll as well for race two. I know you've had some downtime to reflect on uh, that opening weekend of the series. So with the benefit of hindsight now, how would you assess the way that your season started at Circuit of the Americas back in uh, early March?
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the kind words. Um, you know, of course, we, we started the year off uh, on the right foot, uh, which is always nice um we went into first round at circuit of the Americas with um with I'd say we went in with confidence but um but not not too high of expectations we uh we set our goal of of uh, a pair of top 5s um being a respectable sort of debut um you know new car uh, new team uh there was a lot of uh a lot of news with the whole program um And we wanted to make sure not to uh not to, to the bar too high um and uh, you know just just execute and uh, and not make mistakes uh, mm-hmm. and we exceed our expectations um so you know to leave to leave the weekend with uh, an overall pole position as you said a podium and a win and the points lead um, was just a fantastic start and uh it shows um you know the testament that uh, the team races edge Motorsports um, the the work ethic that they put in 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 just you know the three four weeks leading up to that event it was a really condensed um, uh, sort of prep time that that we had um, but uh, but we made the most of it and uh, executed well
1: and this is a pretty big step for the team. I know that if you go back several years they've raced in... Some pretty high levels of the sport, but for them, they've been in, in GT4 competition the last couple of years to make this step to GT3 and to fight amongst the big boys, even uh, you know leading the race overall at, at, at one point. Uh, what does this say about uh, the racers' edge team and how prepared they were for the start of this new project?
2: Yeah, I think um, you know I think probably in many many eyes, uh, they were underestimated in, uh, in capabilities. Um, you know, I've I've known John Meraki, um the 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 boss there for for quite some time. Um, you know, of course the, the sport is a very small community, um, and so you cross pass, you know, off the, the track and he's always been uh, kind and polite to say hello. Um and uh as a matter of fact, several years ago we uh we we, were, we had a conversation about doing something together and it just never never came to fruition. But uh the stars, you know, aligned on on this program to make it work. And um like I said, they, I, I think the performance was probably underestimated at the beginning. Um they're uh they're a small group, um and certainly certainly know how to make a dollar go far. Um but a very family oriented group and uh you know, just uh everyone knows their position. I, I think is, is the best way to sum it up. You know, they, they seem to have, have worked together for quite some time and nobody's stepping on anyone's toes They're they're just doing their job. And, uh, and I think that's what it takes at this level. Um, you know, of course we, we look back at CODA and, 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 and we can, um, we can pinpoint a few things that we could have done better. And, and that's where, you know, the last couple of weeks, um, uh, we we've just been analyzing that uh analyzing our reports and um and just figuring out how we can get better because we we know the competition is is going to be stronger uh as the season goes on
1: yeah so take us through the last few weeks uh, really over a month at this point since you had that first race of the season what do you do individually to take lessons learned from that race and and try and uh, prepare yourself for what's to come at VIR, and as a team as well. What are the processes in place to put this time to good use?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I can speak. Uh, I can speak better from my side than I can from the team side, of course. But um, for me, uh, it, it hasn't been a whole lot of downtime. Uh, following Coda, um, we uh, we of course had Sebring, um, where I was back in the, back in the Ford Mustang that weekend. Um, and then after that, uh, I had a personal vacation book for a little while. My wife and I took off to Italy. Um, I was there for 10 days and, and the timing of that was perfect, uh, because it was the first round for the Blancpain, um, uh, sprint championship at Monza. And so I found myself, uh, back at a racetrack, um, uh, cheering, uh, cheering on the RGN motorsports guys who, who campaigned the Acura NSX as well. Um, and then following the event, I, uh, I got to take a tour of uh, the Yaz Motorsport facility there um, not too far from Milan which sure. is um, which is where the cars uh, where the cars are all built um, so that was that was great for me just to sort of get a firsthand um, perspective on um, on the on the process of the, that these cars go through to get to get built before before we see them um, you know in full race trim um, we haven't uh, I, and actually sorry we did a quick test. Uh, at VIR as well, um, probably um, about a week and a half after Coda, it was uh, it was quite cold, but but we had dry track and um, and we were able to uh, to work a little bit on uh, on some setup, which I think will prove viable when we when we get back there this week. So certainly, from my side, it's been uh, been a busy travel schedule still. Um, from the team side, um, I know John John had kind of four key points. Um, that he wanted to address and uh in a conversation that we had just over this past weekend um he's pretty confident that he's addressed three of them um which are the most important ones anyways and um so we're doing what we can and we'll see uh we'll see how things line up this weekend
1: your story about spending some of your vacation at a racetrack and at a race shop i find that interesting because i know speaking to you before the season you said that your aspiration is to have a manufacturer connection at some point in your driving career. This relationship with Acura is a relatively new one, but it does seem like they've been pretty welcoming and opening their doors to you, uh, both at Monza and then to go see the, the gas facility as well.
2: Yeah, they've, um, you know, they've all, they've all, um, uh, treated me very well so far. Um, you know, of course, it's still a very young relationship. Um, but, uh, but yet yeah, to this point, uh, you know, there, and, and, there's also several parties involved. Um, you know, of course, the race team, uh, component of Racers Edge Motorsports. And then you've got, you know, HPD, um, you've got YAS, and then you've got Honda Motors Japan. So there's, there's really a lot of, a lot of people involved, uh, in this deal. But, um, I think for me, uh, it was important to, um, uh, to see the facility and uh and to build that relationship um but again it's still so early uh i think the the first the first job needs to be um this year's program uh, in the Blancpain gt america um you know that's that's really the task at hand and uh you know i am going to do what i can to to prepare for the future but at the same time uh you know, focus on the present
1: sure and coming up next, of course, is the next Bong E. T. World Challenge America race at VIR. You said you had the successful test there not so long ago. What are your level of expectations at this point, looking ahead to the next round of the championship, which is rapidly approaching?
2: Um, I, th- I think we're going to approach the weekend with you know, the same sort of mentality that we did at the start of the season. Um, you know, we are, We're confident in our ability um, – uh, as a team, uh, we're confident in in the package we have in the race car, um, you know, and in the lineup uh, with myself and, and Martin Barkey. Um, so, you know, that's that's sort of step one, um, and then you know, from there, it's um, you know, how do we execute to to the best of our abilities and uh, and and not make mistakes? Um, you know, there there are several things uh, to consider, but. Um, outright lap time isn't always um, sort of number one um, it's, it's far easier to lose uh, lap time than it is than it is to gain it um, you know so we take that into consideration um, The test uh, the test at VAR a few weeks ago was, was successful um, you know I'm spending a lot of time uh, with Martin uh, making sure that he's comfortable with the car and um, you know his his stint, his qualifying performance is, uh, is equally as important as mine is. Um, so we really, um, you know, we, we need to take that into consideration. It's not always just about, you know, that, uh, that outright lap time. It fits the whole package.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you at VIR here shortly. Congratulations on the great start to the season and uh, looking forward to seeing what VIR has in store for you and the whole
2: Racer's Edge team yeah fantastic uh, i am as well i am as well so hopefully we've got some good weather ahead of us i haven't even bothered to look uh i don't usually because it is what it is but uh we're looking forward to it
1: hi this is jordan taylor and you're listening to sports car 365's double stint podcast Back on Double Stint, thanks to Kyle for spending some time with us on the show this week. We do have a question, and it comes from Masked Racer. I think you might have asked this before, so I would point you back to a previous episode. Not exactly sure which one it was, but I think uh, we touched on this in greater detail. They are basically asking if there's anything to the trend of the Ford GT having never won a race that ends at night. Uh, I remember I went through some statistics from the past, and they would had some good runs, just never had a win so I think the two of us came down with an answer of not really. It's probably a case of small sample size and uh, not not really any correlation there. But thank you for writing in, and if you have a question for our next show, you can use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter or leave a comment in the comments section. Finally, John, let's preview the SRO America weekend coming up at VIR. It is going to be a busy one with... GT3, both Sprint and Sprint X of GT4, plus all the touring car classes, all in action out in Virginia. What are you most looking forward to?
0: Well, maybe the lunch break. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I'm with you. We'll see. We'll see how it all happens because um, I think there's 12 races total between each of all of the series in action between Saturday and Sunday. So um, it's going to be jam packed. Um, You know, first and foremost, we have Blancpain GT World Challenge America, which has 17 entries. So down from 23 at Coda, there were some one-offs there, as well as now no P1. Um, Also, TR3 is not present as of now because of Jeff Siegel and Wei Lu's one-off run. Um, I think there was some hope maybe to have that car run with some other drivers, but it hasn't materialized. And so we're down a little bit smaller of a grid for GT3, which is definitely a, a disappointment but um, I think still in the range of where we sort of expected the series to be this year. Um, GT4 Sprint and Sprint X will be separate races. Um, First time, both of those will be on the same weekend. So um, 50-minute Sprint races like we've seen at St. Petersburg and Long Beach, and then Sprint X returns like we saw at Coda, but minus the GT4 West part of that. So it's just Sprint X and then GT4 East. And those championships will be competing in the same race, but they're invisible to each other in terms of points. I think that's the easiest way to explain it because there was a lot of confusion following the Coda weekend um, when I think the Park Place Motorsports Porsche won race two overall, but they were not given any points for Sprint X because they were a full-season GT4 East competitor, so they got maximum points there. Um, anyway, there's a lot of teams I think that are going to be splitting, you know, uh, doing double duty between both Sprint and Sprint X. A lot of drivers. Um, some cars as well, and some teams have actually utilized separate chassis. I know Flying Lizard has different cars, Park Place has different cars. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how it all sort of unfolds. And logistically, you know, when you have so many different races over the weekend, when you add up the the TC divisions as well, you know, and I think there's also radicals in action. Um, it's going to make for a, a definite bumper weekend at, at VIR.
1: No doubt, it's going to keep us on our toes. But uh, looking forward to getting out there for that event. Thank you very much for tuning in to the program this week. We'd love to hear from you for the next one. Again, you can leave a comment in the comment section with a question or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint, and we certainly would appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. We would also like to thank our Patreon patrons for their support. Tony, Taylor, Ron, Robert, Nick, Motorsports Beat. Jerry and Dennis, thank you all for your continued support of what we're doing with our podcast network. And if you would like to be a patron and get some of the benefits that come along with your patronage, you could check out our Patreon page, and there's a link to that attached to this week's podcast on our post at sportscar365.com. That's it for us this week. We'll talk with you about that VIR weekend when we return with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast next week.